as important as it is that we work on our inner demons so that we do not spread toxicity throughout our organizations, that we have a moral responsibility, especially those of us who hold power in some form or another, to see the ways our silence, our lack of engagement in the struggles of the world implicitly supports the oppression. That was co-founder and CEO of Reboot.io, author of Reboot, and author of the soon-to-be-released Reunion, Leadership and the Longing to Belong, Jerry Colonna. Jerry Colonna is a force of nature in the leadership and certainly technology and VC community. And with Reunion, he is really opening up that experience to a whole new call to action for us all to be better advocates in the progress for racial equity and social justice. And it was a real pleasure to sit down with Jerry to talk about the calling of this book, his work and how he has viewed reinvention and rebooting within his career, airplane mode, and so much more. And so I'm really excited to bring you that conversation right now. All right, let's say you're a company looking for a strategic partnership to help you transform your people operations. You know you've got dozens of options out there, but here's why Amplify is the best one. Amplify consults and advises on what it takes to build modern people teams, from the kickoff to weekly update meetings to interview coordination and every step in between. This helps them clearly understand your work style, culture, and needs so they can be a deeply informed advisor throughout the engagement. And they understand the complexity and profile of a modern people executive because they're embedded in that world. Founder Lars Schmidt has spent over 20 years working alongside chief human resources officers, building next generation HR programs and working with companies like Forbes and Fast Company. These days, with everything moving at lightning speed, nothing is more important than clarity and simplicity. Cut through all the noise with Amplify. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Redefining Work podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and I'm really excited about the conversation that uh, I'm about to have with Jerry Colonna. Jerry is a titan in the industry. He's somebody who I've long admired his voice and his approach to leadership. He is the co-founder and CEO of Reboot.io. He is the author of Reboot, and he's the author of the upcoming reunion, Leadership and the Longing to Belong. And there's a lot for us to cover. And Jerry, there's that bio doesn't even get into the career you had before you started Reboot. And so I would love to actually just turn it over to you and ask how you would like to introduce yourself to the audience. Oh, well, I mean, first of all, that introduction was wonderful. So thank you for that. And, um, you know, I've had a, a pretty wide and varied career. Some could argue that I am a little attention deficit disorder. No, just kidding. Um, I've been a reporter. I've been a venture capitalist. I have been a teacher. I am now a writer, in addition to being an executive coach. And I have uh, enjoyed every single incarnation of my career. So, um, yeah, that's probably the best way 
uh, thing. I think the thing that that probably is worth landing on is that um, as an investor, as a venture capitalist, I spent a great deal of time in boardrooms and helping to build organizations um, in the way that board members and executives can do that. And, um, and it was from that uh, work that led me into being an executive coach. You know, I want to actually spend a moment there because I think often we think of careers as ladders. We think of careers linearly. Um, we think of careers with forethought in terms of the, you know, tired interview question we get around where do you see yourself in five years? And what I've appreciated about your career, and it's certainly something that I've tried to embrace in my own, is not really having those long-term increments and having the ability to reinvent yourself, reboot yourself, if you will, um, to follow the, the, the path that is laid out for you at that moment, which may actually deviate from the path that you've been on. And I think that's an important lesson for viewers. And I'd love to just have you expand on that in a little bit, because as you mentioned, you, you, you've kind of rebooted your career several times over. And I would love to just learn more about like your thought process and, and how you think about your career now and kind of maybe at that initial inflection point where you're like, it's time for me to do something different. Well, uh, I, I really welcome that question. Um, and I think that, uh, Embedded in the question is a supposition that actually that that many of us hold that is a source of discontent, which is the belief that if we are not moving up the ladder rung by rung or as I write actually in reboot my first book uh, up and to the right, up and to the right, that somehow we're doing it wrong. And I think that the richest lives, the fullest lives, are often marked by these interesting inflection points where we um, allow ourselves the liberty and the luxury of trying something new. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to you today in the middle of August in the middle of what I refer to as my sabbatical. And people are often confused by that because they say, I thought you were on sabbatical, why are you working? And what they don't understand, or I don't always communicate well enough, is that sabbatical to me is an opportunity to use different parts of my brain, to think differently, to work differently, to exercise my creativity, my libido in a different way. And by what I often refer to as tacking, zigzagging across the surface of the lake, rather than assuming that the way you're going to cross the lake is just get in a sailboat and sail. By doing that, you unleash a certain kind of creativity, at least I have felt that for myself, that allows me to detach from the singular identity that we often attach to a current manifestation. Um, so am I an executive coach? Yeah. Am I a CEO? Yeah. Am I a writer? Yeah. Am I a board member? Yeah. Am I a father and life partner? Yeah. 
I'm all those things. As Walt Whitman said, am I large? I do. I, I am. I contain multitudes. He also said, do I contradict myself? But that's different. <laughs> <laughs> I mangled the quote, but you get the point. I, I do get the point. And I do, you know, I, I feel like I have to kind of share. I loved your out of office email mm. uh, and this notion of airplane mode. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, as context for viewers who are wondering what the hell I'm talking about right now. So uh, usually before guests come on the podcast, I'll send them just a prep email with some details on, on what to expect. And I instantly got an out of office uh, memo from Jerry uh, and the subject was airplane mode. And, and it went on to elaborate on this idea of a sabbatical and a refresh. And, and I think it's so important that you raise the point around a sabbatical doesn't mean you're doing nothing. It actually can mean you're doing a lot of things that are actually just different, perhaps from the core thing that you are doing in the, you know, the typical non-sabbatical construct of your work life. Right. So, so Lars, I'll, uh, let me, let me point out something over your uh, shoulders or behind your head are a series of skateboards um, mounted on the wall like artwork. And what that tells me is that there is an artist in you, but there's also a skateboarder in you. And that those parts of your being are important enough for you to make that a part of your workspace. Well, how do you indulge that part of you? How do you take care of that part of you? You know, part of our task as those of us who care about culture within organizations, for example, I'm mindful of, of the topic of this podcast. Part of our task is to convey to people that the wholeness of who that person is, who our colleagues are, is welcome. And I think one of the challenges that we have as modern animals is that we believe so firmly in climbing the rungs of a ladder or moving up and to the right that we fail to welcome in the various parts of ourselves. And then we create cultures where the fullness of our colleagues is not welcomed in and we become droids. We become mechanistic expressions uh, of work. And then we call an executive coach and we, and we say, we got a problem in the organization. We lack innovation. <laughs> right. Right. Or we have a problem in the organization. We lack trust. What if our organizations could be the place where the creativity of Lars as exemplified by those beautiful works of art on your wall were welcomed? Yeah. Right. Not as a distraction from your work, but as an enhancement and a supplement to the way in which you operate and you do your work. Yeah, I mean, there's so much data that we have now around psychological safety in the workplace as being the thing that really unleashes creativity, impact, innovation. Um, and that has to be actively fostered and developed and reinforced, right? That can't just be, that's not a program. You just roll out and it exists and it takes time and it takes trust. 
And so, yeah, and, and I know that you get into a lot of those themes in, in reunion and I want to actually come back to that in a moment, but I want to share a date with you um, first. And the date is July 8th, 2019. And I share that date with you because uh, I, I had known of you and of your work. Um, but on that date, you joined uh, Alex Bloomberg's uh, Without Fail podcast. And I listened to that. And as a former, you know, head of talent innovation at NPR, obviously, that I had a, a, a sweet spot to kind of hearing that conversation, that perspective. But the window that you both provided into the coaching process um, and, and I think in particular, your unique style of coaching, where you really kind of take your clients back to, you know, even childhood experiences and root causes that help shape them as a person that oftentimes I think are subconscious, right? That, that they may not even realize are impacting their behaviors and influencing that. And it was interesting. So for, you know, me, I had spent my career, the first half of my career, I've had a couple different, I guess, you know, whatever, I don't even know what path it was. The first <laughs> 12 years of my career in a corporate role, 15 years, then I decided to kind of go out on my own as an entrepreneur. And I felt that I had the skills, uh, the functional skills that I needed to be able to be an effective entrepreneur as a consultant. But what I realized in that conversation for the first time was that, you know, at that point, my business had been operating for seven years. I think it was relatively successful. But I realized that as much as I kind of entered the world of being an entrepreneur with a confidence in the subject matter that I was working on, I didn't really know much about running a business. I didn't really know, you know, there's all these things. And so I, I think of that today and more and more people are leaving corporate to start their own companies, their own careers, their own, you know, company of one, right? We're seeing this huge rise in entrepreneurship for people that are companies of one or two or five. And, you know, maybe they have no ambitions to be anything but that. And so a lot of those people probably never thought of coaching because they're just so in the weeds with their business. But I'm, I'm curious, like when you, and I know that, you know, obviously the typical coaching profile is not an individual like that, but how do you think about kind of coaching for people who are on that type of path? They don't aspire to, you know, take on VC or PE money. It's a smaller, you know, organization. They don't, you know, it's maybe bootstrapped, but there's a lot that they don't necessarily know about you know, what it takes to build and run and scale a business. So there's a lot in, in that. So I want to pick out certain pieces and respond to them. First of all, thank you for recalling that uh, episode, that conversation with Alex. It's one of the uh, many podcast appearances I've done where I cried the most, or it's probably the one I cried the most. And we joked at the time that he, it, I made him cry so many times that it was only fair play. Yeah, I remember that. That he, he brought me back to some really important moments in my life. Um, and uh, so thank you for, for, for bringing me back to that moment. It's powerful for me. You know, one way to think about your question, Lars, you know, one way I think about your question is um, I would parse it in two ways. The first is that I think you're right that um, people often come to coaching because they are um, 
at a loss for the pragmatic and practical parts of how they're trying to do their work. And um, in your recognition that you didn't know how to run a business, that's my restatement of what you said. I'm imagining you felt an enormous amount of anxiety, possibly even shame, possibly even triggering something as deep as an imposter syndrome. And if any of those feelings are familiar, um, we can just sort of normalize it right now and realize that whether I have a client who runs a 10,000 person company or I have a client who is a singular entrepreneur working through their own personal issues, they feel exactly the same things. The stories that they tell themselves are different, right? The story they tell themselves is um, that, uh, you know, the job is so impossible, I don't know how to do this, or I've gotten to this stage and I don't know how to get to this stage. And in my experience, what happens is they fix too much attention on the how of the job. This is an essential message in Reboot, my first book, rather than unlocking the why. And, um, you know, you talked about how I will often take a client back to the past. The time traveling that we do is really designed to understand the present with more clarity. Because the wish that clients often have is to be told what to do now in the present and in the future. And the problem is, as much as I have a mellifluous voice, I can't live in my client's brain, right? I can't whisper in their ear every moment of the day. That would not be healthy, even if I could. That probably, yeah. <laughs> right. And so what, what our real task to do, whether it's my task or your task, or even, even the folks who are listening here, who take on the responsibility for that development for people, our real task is to work our way out of a job. Our real task is to unleash the potential of people that we work with. And so if we tell them what to do in the moment, it may alleviate a certain amount of anxiety. And that's useful. But really what we want to do is to teach them to fish. Yeah. And, and that time traveling into the past enables people to really sort of live into the future with more confidence because they start to understand things. They start to understand, for example, why were you drawn to the work that you wanted to do? And that knowledge can be a resource that unlocks your own creativity on an ongoing basis. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that perspective. And I, and I think what I've also liked about your work is the, the connection to how our subconscious impacts our conscious. And obviously there's a lot of kind of radical self introspection um, and the themes throughout your work. And I think it is so important. I mean, even, you know, myself, I've been through therapy for different reasons in my own past. And I think having the ability to, again, the subconscious is subconscious for a reason. It's not clear. You don't understand it. And if you don't do work often through, you know, third parties, whether it's therapy or otherwise, 
you won't be able to see it and you won't be able to name it and you won't be able to understand it. And then you won't be able to understand how to build different habits now with that understanding that you now have about perhaps how you're wired in a subconscious way that influences how you see the world and how you behave and how you act and react. So I agree with you. And, and I know that the language I use comes from decades of being in psychoanalysis, but let's expand it for a moment because there's a lot of therapy talk in the world right now. This is what the Buddha taught, you know, thousands of years ago. This is what Greek philosophers taught, you know, to thine own self be true, to know oneself. This is about consciousness. Yeah. And this is about the fact that the human condition um, uh, is such that we tend to fall asleep. We tend to go on autopilot. And there are use, there's a usefulness to going on autopilot, which is if I'm conscious every minute of the day, I won't be able to step forward. So we have to sort of go take advantage of that. The problem is that oftentimes we, we extend that too much and we end up making choices and most importantly, impacting the lives of others without that discernment, without that awareness. And so we then find ourselves saying things like, well, why did I speak so aggressively to that person? Why, or at the organizational level, why is it that we have an organization that is constantly avoiding conflict? Or as is often the case right now in our society, why is it that we scapegoat various peoples? Why, do, why are we threatened by someone who looks differently than us, who loves differently than us? When you take what we might refer to as a psychoanalytic approach to this, you get to much more quickly unpack the behavior. Now, you, after unpacking the behavior, you might say, yes, I prefer to be this way. Okay. I think that when we unpack the behavior and we see our negative tendencies, we create a certain kind of opportunity for the best of ourselves to emerge. And I think that that's a radically important task for those of us who hold power, both within organizations and in our society. The Amplify community has had such a profound impact on me. This work can be incredibly lonely and the calibre of humans that I have met in this group is like nothing I've experienced before. I can't express how much the community supports one another, how safe I feel sharing about the challenges that I have in the role. It is truly the safest community I've ever been a part of to share and learn from other people, practitioners, and professionals. One of the things I love so much about the Amplify community is having the opportunity to connect with a global group of peers, where we have the opportunity to come together, collaborate, innovate, most importantly, problem solve, and be able to just hold space for one another to support each other in the work that we're really pouring a lot of care and effort and energy into each and every week. I want to thank Amplify Academy community members, Chloe Sesta Jacobs, Noah Warder, and Balbina Knight for sharing their experiences. 
The Amplify Academy was built to help today's HR practitioners build the learning agility and network equity needed to thrive in today's world of work. Through our AI Learning Lab with over 500 resources, our global Slack community, and our leadership development cohorts, you'll build the capabilities and connections to drive your career forward. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at amplifytalent.com academy. Now, back to the show. I think it's a good transition to a reunion because I think a lot of the themes that you just stated are woven so well throughout the book. And I, I would love to just kind of start, you, you share kind of the story of, of really the, the genesis of how the book came to be uh, in, in the opening kind of section. I'd love for you to just expand on that. Like what you're, this is happening kind of early in the pandemic. It's after the murder of George Floyd. We're having, you know, marches in around the world, um, you know, crying for social justice. Um, obviously your daughter was, you kind of shared the story of your daughter being in New York. And I would love to just like all these events are happening. And, and what was the moment for you where this book kind of became a calling? And this was something that, that you knew you had to kind of commit yourself to and write. Well, you, you've set it up, right. You know, um, I'll give a little bit more context. Um, the summer of 2020, um, the weeks following the murder of George Floyd, the weeks following that, and that was, I believe, Memorial Day, um, it was this um, such a, an odd time in, in my, um, I'll be 60 this year, in the 60 years that I have lived on this planet, a very, very odd time because you had COVID going on, you had this fear. And then um, for a bunch of complex reasons, this particular murder of an of a unarmed man, uh, an unarmed person, caught the attention of folks who might otherwise be like me operating from a place of privilege. Uh, you know, I identify as white, cisgender straight male um, and I enjoy the power and privilege that our society tends to project on people whose bodies and loves are the way mine is. Okay, so the backdrop. I have a very fierce daughter. Um, her name is Emma and um, as I often say, she uh, has no hesitancy calling me on my bullshit. She um, is fierce with truth. Yeah. And um, for years beforehand, she would often say to me, Dad, it's not enough to be an ally. You have to be a co-conspirator. And her commitment to social justice goes back to her being a child and questioning whether or not she actually had to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance because, as she said, I've read the Bill of Rights. I'm not sure that I have to stand for the Pledge of Allegiance, right? I mean, and I had to ha have a conversation with the principal of her school. That's my daughter. Yeah. Okay. By the way, she was allowed to not stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, so... This is all going on, 
and Emma starts joining the protests. And I am safe. I live on a farm outside of Boulder, Colorado. I'm surrounded by 40 acres. COVID, it did eventually get me. But it felt that COVID wasn't going to get me. And she starts marching. And in this case, she's marching across the Manhattan Bridge between Brooklyn and Manhattan when uh, the police start to close in on the 5,000 or so people crossing the bridge. And she starts texting me about what to do if she gets pepper sprayed. And it hits me. You know, I, I am very proud of the work I did in Reboot, my first book. I'm very proud of the work that we do as a company. Um, and one of the assertions that I've made for decades is that better humans make better leaders. And I'll often joke, well, that's kind of obvious, right? Better humans should make better leaders. And yet I often say, well, why is it that we don't have good leadership? And we don't have good leadership because the act of becoming a better person, a better human is so challenging. And I think that that's all true. I realized in that moment, that summer, that that's actually not enough. That as important as it is that we work on our inner demons so that we do not spread toxicity throughout our organizations, that we have a moral responsibility, especially those of us who hold power in some form or another, to see the ways our silence, our lack of engagement, in the struggles of the world implicitly supports the oppression. And there's this moral responsibility that came clear to me. It's not as if I wasn't aware of systemic oppression. It's the realization that I have to actually be a co-conspirator in overturning this. That that is what my daughter was saying to me for so many years. So reunion is an attempt to come to grips with that process, both within myself, because as you know from reading Reboot, I don't ask people to do things that I myself am unwilling to do. That feels wrong. And so I explore the roots of my identity. I explore the parts of myself that I have denied. I explore the roots of my ancestors and their journey, as I say, towards whiteness. And I try to draw the connection between what I see as varying trends, which unfortunately become more and more challenging every single day, where we see a connection between, say, anti-black racism, anti-immigration feelings, um, the marginalization of trans people, the direct assault on civil and human rights, and the silence that I hear from business. And I make the connection between all of those things. And I'm glad that you frame that in that way, because I think that we are obviously at a interesting and you know probably I think a lot of people would say somewhat dangerous time in the United States where, you know, we've had this, I remember early, uh, actually before the pandemic, um, I had Dr. Laura Morgan Roberts on the podcast, and she's an academic who co-wrote an HBR piece on advancing black leaders. And 
you know, just talked a bit about the, the long march towards civil rights and really kind of breaking down moments and movements and talking about the inevitable backlash to moments um, in the broader arc of movements. And, you know, it felt like in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, we started to see movement in a direction towards progress in ways that we hadn't seen before. And I think when I, when I, when I was reading reunion, what really struck me was that, you know, much of this comes down to the awareness for people maybe who were not paying attention. They were people in power. And again, looking at business leaders, that profile is largely white males looking at HR practitioners, certainly in the U S that demographic is usually white People, it tends to be more female than male, but still 67%, I believe, roughly uh, of HR practitioners in the U.S. are white. And for change to happen, it begins at an individual level. It begins at an individual level of, of white people who look like you and I kind of doing that work on ourselves to educate ourselves so that we can have a grasp of these things that are systemic because systemic things were designed to self-perpetuate unless you can kind of understand them. And so I'm curious when you kind of think of the, the core message that you're trying to convey in reunion, you know, uh, juxtapose, if you will, of this current moment in time that we're in, whereas you've named, I mean, there's, uh, you know, Supreme court rolling back affirmative action, uh, attacks on the LGBTQ plus community. There's just, there's, there's a range of things happening throughout the U S right now that, um, seem to be some serious, headwinds for that moment to maintain progress. And I would love to just get your, your perspective and, and maybe even have you elaborate a bit more on kind of the role of, of business leaders to help pick up that mantle and make sure that they don't let things like the Supreme Court ruling, you know, give a pass to perhaps backslide into, you know, past habits that they were most comfortable in. Well, there's a lot to say here. And, and the first is to be grateful to all of those folks, however they identify, who have carried the torch um, and done the hard, hard work of pushing against systemic oppression. And as Johnny Powell would describe it, systemic othering. Um, and for too long, uh, folks who quite frankly, look and identify as you and I do, have been uh, on the sidelines. And um, too often the work of doing the work has fallen to the people who have borne the cost of systemic othering. So in this time, in this moment, and you name some of the things that we see. You know, when I started writing this book, I did have to take a moment to try to convince the publisher of the necessity of the book. It was only a moment, but I did have to take a moment. As the book has come to fruition, um, literally every day now, we see the uh, uh, continuing expression of the uh, furthering of the othering. You name the Supreme Court's overturning of affirmative action in education 
And what we see right now is using that ruling to actually attack the foundations of systemic belonging that we so uh, worked hard to create and that are barely enough. And so what we see in this moment in time is a need to actually redouble our ethics for justice, equity, diversity, and inclusivity, to redouble our Jedi efforts, to, to commit, you know, the loss of equity, which is what we're experiencing right now, begins with absurd campaigns against Target for having children's t-shirts with rainbows on them or for having a trans person as a spokesperson for a beer. Um, It leads to absurd statements about, quote, the sexualization of breakfast cereals or, or candies, right? Or the attack of a movie that celebrates, you know, feminism with a character based on a children's doll. Yeah. I mean, this is the world that we're living in there. And yet these are very real threats. The pieces are being put in place where we will be rolling back the progress that has been made in the last 50, 60 years, not only around racial identification, but gender. Think of the number of the, the, the number of folks who identify as women who are in senior leadership positions in business. And it's still a fraction relative to the demographic population. And yet what what is next is that. You know, what is next after that would be those whose religious beliefs are different, right? I mean, at some point in time, as our wisdom elders have taught us, going back to the Holocaust, at some point in time, it is going to um, undermine all of us. And so this is a moment in time. And and what I try to lay out in reunion is that is the application of that radical self-inquiry, which is so powerful in my first book, Reboot, the application of that process to understand who you belong to so that you can then complete the process of creating belonging for others. And, and in the end, the message, I hope, is, is in fact hopeful because it's the realization that at its root, we are all individual fingers on the same hand, individual expressions of the same body part. So you can tell I get passionate about this. This has been moving me for the last few years. Yeah. Well, I'm, I just want to say thank you for writing the book because I think it is an important book in this moment in time. And certainly it transcends this moment of time, but in particularly in this moment of time, I think having a book that gives us hope gives us, you know, kind of a call to action um, and gives us 
just reinvigorates us to remain committed to this work is, is so important. So I just want to thank you for that. God bless you for saying so. That means a lot to me because the truth of the matter is, um, every day I, I worry that either a, it's not enough or B, you know, who am I to be speaking about these things? And then I look myself in the mirror and say, if not me, then who? And, and, you know, I have to live up to that clarion call that came from my daughter. It's not enough to be an ally. You have to be a co-conspirator. Yeah. Well, I think that's a tremendous piece of advice and wisdom. And I think something that we can all heed from uh, Emma. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for making time to come on the podcast and share your own journey. Um, I have one question that I want to close the podcast with, and that is what is bringing you joy lately? There's a lot, but uh, what comes to mind is, as it relates to this, you know, last week I was with a group of uh, underrepresented entrepreneurs, folks who come from different places than most venture-backed entrepreneurs. And when we spoke about this and they looked at me and they said, you go, that brings me a lot of joy. Um, And... My youngest son is about to get married this fall. So that's pretty cool too. That's also joyful. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Well, Jerry, where is the best place for uh, our viewers and uh, listeners to get the book? Uh, Well, actually, when is the release date? The release date is, yeah, it's November 14th, but you can pre-order now at uh, at any of your local independent bookshops or at Amazon um, Reunion Leadership and the Longing to Belong. Okay. Jerry, thank you so much. Thanks again for all your work in the space, your voice, your leadership, and uh, thanks for this gift of this book. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Lars. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.